Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? You told us when it could be time to panic. Well, is it time to panic? Well, let me just tell you, folks, it's never going to be time to panic because we're never going to give up. We're not going to give up on America. America is worth it. America is worth it fighting for. America's worth not giving up. And while we have that attitude of not giving up, we are constantly going to be searching, strategizing, coming up with ways to prevail. We've got the basics. We have we have millions and millions of Americans that are fed up. Can't wait to do something about it. There will be a series of ideas that people come up with based on Dealing with the fraud that we know we have to deal with. You're not alone. You're not a singular individual all by yourself out there trying to fight these people by yourself. There are 74 million plus and growing. We're not going to give up on America. From sea to shining sea. Three hours of bold truth and excellence. The Wendy Bell Radio Program. Hour three, Wendy Bell Radio program. We are live with our national security expert, former FBI agent John Guandolo. John, I want to welcome you to the show, sir, and get right to it because you sent me something earlier this week, and I think we've got to talk about this this TikTok uh, celebrating freaking Osama bin Laden. What are we doing, John? Well, I think, uh, first of all, thank you, and I hope you and your crew had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I, I think this is the natural outcome of two decades of a very well-orchestrated information campaign by al-Qaeda Hamas terrorists that operate inside the federal government, the U.S. federal government, and at the state level to ensure that the message that Americans get about these issues is that, you know, because you're, you're hearing so much equivocation that, you know, the violence done by Hamas is really the same as the violence done by Israel and the violence that America does on others, you know, the colonial powers, same as al-Qaeda. They're just, you know, you know one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter which is a load of crap. A terrorist is a terrorist. And uh, there's, a, there's a huge difference with regards to motives and with regards to actions and regard, with regards to behavior that is humane and moral and behavior that is immoral and evil. And uh, so the assault has come, uh, and, and you and I have discussed this, the primary target of the communist and Islamic movements has been the destruction of reason. And the communist movement has really been at the forefront because they've been operating inside our schools. But it really comes down to leaders refusing 
to understand and speak truth and bring real clarity to these issues. So you've got Americans who think, you know, maybe Osama, but maybe we we got it wrong. Maybe he wasn't such a bad guy after all. And uh, because Republicans, in my opinion, allowed Mm al-Qaeda operatives like, you know, groups in the United States to stay on Fox and CNN and other places, these kinds of things like, well, you know, what al-Qaeda did was bad, but, you know, i got to understand their motives because uh, they were right. You know, I agree with their what they're doing. Just That's not so the way scary. Doing it. It's so scary. It's so insulting. It's insulting to every 9-11 family. It's insulting to every American who for more than 20 years has mourned this this tragedy. But, John, do you really what do you see a Donald Trump being reelected? What's he going to do to stop this madness? How he's going to ferret out these ideas that an Osama bin Laden should be somebody who's glorified by our young people in this country? What? Well, I think it's, you know, what, what's interesting is if you listen to President Clinton, President Bush, President Obama, President Biden, if you listen also to secretaries of state, uh, Colin Powell, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, uh, and folks like that, they all told us that real Islam is loving and good and peaceful. They said that publicly. Um, and what al-Qaeda does and what Hamas does is a radical interpretation. And that's a lie. They all lied. What Osama bin Laden said and what al-Qaeda soldiers were taught on and off the battlefield about Islam is normative and universally taught Islam. And until... Americans, citizens, come to understand that, do their homework, and actually read the books that are used to teach 10-year-old Islamic children in places like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Dallas, Los Angeles, uh, Albuquerque, wherever, we, we will continue to just say, you know, one God, three Abrahamic faiths. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. We all believe in the same God. Not true. Uh, and we all essentially want the same things, which is what George Bush told us after 9-11. Not true. You know, George Bush told us those people did what they did on 9-11, blasphemed Allah. That's a lie. That's not true. Now, whether he knew he was lying or not, it doesn't matter. He's the President of the United States. He should know what the hell he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And that literally put a chill in our entire national security apparatus. And the, the key here is oops, within being okay. And the problem, in my opinion, is men in America, if I might, are not standing up and speaking truth. They're not defending their families at the local level in their schools. And they waited until it exploded right underneath them to actually decide and most of them still are unengaged men you say men i say fathers doing what fathers should do i'm amazed in in the last 20 years of plus years of doing this work um and really being out on the street uh you know for the last 17 years 
a lot of the people carrying the load are women in communities. And I, I always ask, where are the men? And a lot of the women will say, well, my husband works so I can do this. I'm like, well, that's great. That's okay if we're talking about you being involved in your local political community or the state. But we're talking about fighting and winning a war for the soul of America. They need to get up and stand up and get in the fight. And I still, most men are like, ah, you know, it's, uh, you know, next election, we'll get this thing squared. I'm like, I'm too busy doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, the ship's sinking, and it's two-thirds under the water. So you need to kind of pull your head out of your butt and get in the fight. Right. You can't about be... You, who's winning the football game on Saturday night or Sunday afternoon and freaking get in the war. Yeah, yeah. We're losing badly. I agree. So so do you believe that if Donald Trump is reelected, and I want to go to this, is there a way to remedy this, to, to carve out the people who are a danger to us, who operate in plain view at the highest echelons of our federal bureaucracy? Is it, do- is it doable? It's, it is doable, uh, but a, ho- a whole lot of things have to happen. I mean, there are a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle that need to be charged with treason and if found guilty, executed. We need to have, uh, as I teach, you know, training local communities how to identify the communists and jihadis and flush them out. You've got to have governors who shut down banks. You've got to have, I mean, you're talking about the 50 most prominent Islamic organizations, and many prominent uh, organizations in the community that are operating as a part of these hostile movements. And if we're just talking, since we're talking al-Qaeda and Hamas, we're talking jihadi organizations, you're talking about shutting down most mosques in America, most, meaning more, not just majority, not just 51%, probably well over 70% who are teaching and, and putting forth the, uh, the teaching that jihad has to be waged against the United States. You've got mosques that are fortifying. You've got uh, the Islamic societies, the Muslim student associations, and all the groups that have maybe 30 or 40 chapters around the nation. But we're, we're talking about thousands of organizations. And you've got, uh, who's going who's gonna to do those warrants? Who's going to arrest these leaders? The FBI? You like know, the local police, right. who might be solid, but they don't understand this. So you can have the right president, and so it can be done. But again, until the citizens uh, really put their boot in the butt of the sheriff and the local police and the mayor and the city council and say, we don't want this in our community, it's just not going to happen. And at the federal level, we already saw during his first administration you know, Donald Trump can say, hey, I want this done, but he did that, and a lot of times it didn't get done because the people he told to do it weren't batting for the, our team. Right. And they just said, yes, sir, I'll get that done, and then they just didn't do it. Well, I think we've got a, a, a malaise. We have a laziness issue. We have people not getting involved, people who are still on, on autopilot, John. Hey, don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Our national security expert and former federal agent... John Guandolo is going to come back. I like how he teaches us what to see where we live before it's too late. We'll continue the conversation right after this on the Wendy Bell Radio Program.
Let's get back out to our national security expert, John Guandolo. John, as we talk about so many threats in our country, and we talk specifically about the threats of communism and the jihadi idea here, and how many threats we we feel in our communities. Why did they not impeach Alejandro Mayorkas? So I think this question, or the answer to the question, or the discussion about this question is a, is a great one because it brings everything together. And here's what I want to say. Eight Republicans joined 201 Democrats not to impeach, you know, voting not to impeach uh, Mayorkas. And in explaining it, the rationale was um, that constitutionally, you know, here's the standard, right? High crimes and misdemeanors. um, And this was more a case with regards to Mr. Mayorkas, of mismanagement than it is, uh, you know, high crime or misdemeanor. And this is, so the analogy I would use that I think the audience will, will get is it's like saying, well, this, this person only taught, like, basic first aid or, like, a, a health and cleanliness class. Well, that's normally not a problem unless you're teaching it to al-Qaeda fighters. And then it becomes material support of terrorism and a, a conspiracy to, you know, to commit terrorism. And the uh, Supreme Court has ruled that that is absolutely true, that when you provide, you know, conspiracy to provide uh, support to a terrorist organization, it can include anything that helps them in the performance of what they do. In that same sense, if you look at Mr. Mayorkas based on policy, and say, well, he's just totally incompetent. You have to ask the question, how incompetent can you be until you realize it's intentional? And if you look at it merely in terms of, uh, and maybe looking at a RICO investigation, a racketeering uh, conspiracy, where smaller crimes committed as a part of the broader conspiracy mean you are guilty of the most significant crimes in the conspiracy. And you would have to be, Mr. Mayorkas would have to be so completely incompetent based on what is happening that he he wouldn't be capable of putting his own pants on in the morning to be doing what he's doing with regards to U.S. national security and his job, with, and not just the border, with regards to uh, what the TSA does uh, at airports, how they hire, the the policies that he has enacted, where you've got uh, jihadis and communists being put into more positions of authority and, uh, and and given more access. So is that all accidental? Is it all because he's just a left-wing, you know, softy? Or is it intentional? And I would argue because the eight Republicans are so stupid and criminally negligent that they do not understand these massive movements and how they're operating, that they're looking at this like business as usual. I think anyone that still has a functioning brain knows America is not operating in a business as usual environment right now, except our leaders, of course, on Capitol Hill. Um, So that's why I think this is so important. That the whole way we're look that not you and I we, um, but the whole way that this is being looked at 
it's as if everything's the same, so we're going to do and everything the same and look through the same lens, which is not possible. We are in a war, and the adversaries are winning. And, um, and, and you know, back to your previous question, can this be done? You know, can we turn it around? The answer has always been yes. I believe it's still yes, but now it's going to require such brute force to do it. And I'd like to kind of end this thought with a quick story. Years ago, uh, when I was in the update, 2000, end of 2007, a buddy of mine, were talking. we were talking to the boss of the office. And she was, in my opinion, she was a good, uh, she ran the counterterrorism position. She was the SAC special agent in charge of counterterrorism. And I said, you know, what are we going to do when, the, when we get to a point that the citizens of this country realize who the bad guys are and they see that we're not actually pursuing them? They're right here. And I was talking about the same kind of things you and I talk about. And, and I said, what are we going to do when citizens take action? And she looked at me like that thought had never crossed her mind. I'm like, she, she literally paused for five or six seconds and, and said, well, I've never even thought of that. I'm like, ma'am, we think about that every day on the street. Like, these jihadis are running the re- they, they rule the roost. And we're not doing anything. We're, we're, we go after the guy who puts out on Facebook, I'm going to blow something up. And then we make a big deal that we arrested him. Like, but there are thousands of organizations in this country that are working to overthrow the country. So the, the amount every year that's gone by, and I used to say every month that goes by, we, we take all the options off the table except violence by the good guys against the bad guys, which is not where we want to be. I agree. I agree. And I think that's a great point. I appreciate the perspective on the Republicans. I wonder if they're just dumb or if they're complicit. It's hard to know. Time will tell. And unfortunately, we don't have that much time, it feels. John Guandolo, national security expert. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great weekend for you paying attention to us. Don't go anywhere. Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, ladies and gentlemen. Something very interesting we're paying attention to in the media. They're trying to Joe Biden him. Wait for it. Next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. Kind of interesting when you pay attention as we like to float, I say at 30,000 feet. When you're up above looking down on a landscape, you can see things that you can't tell when you're down in the trenches. There's something really weird going on in New York City. You got a guy, Eric Adams. I don't think this guy is a a mental decathlete. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) But he does check the right boxes for people. Right? So here he is. Mayor of the largest city in America that has been absolutely flooded with these migrants. And at first he was out there saying, welcome. Photo op. Yeah. Welcome. Hola. Como estas? And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, snap, 100,000 people. We have nowhere to put these people. We have no money. This is going to cost New York City taxpayers $12 billion next year to keep track of all these people, make sure they're okay. Really? That's because of Joe Biden. So what did Eric Adams start to do? Started to talk about it. I, I, and, he, and he chirped at Joe Biden specifically. He's like, yo, we can't do this. This is not sustainable. And then what did he do earlier this week? Well, I think it was last week. He slashed all of the funding, right? He, sl- he cut the New York Police Department's force 
to 29,000 cops by the end of fiscal year 2025. Its lowest strength since 1933, because there's not enough money. He canceled the graduating classes to bring in new recruits. Few city departments have emerged unscathed by his 5% cuts to balance the budget, which include $32 million from the city sanitation department. Perfect. That's what I want. I want an unsafe, filthy, right? New York City. Can't wait. Let's go. Woohoo! $74 million cut from the fire department. Awesome. What time of year is it? Oh, that's right. It's house fire time. And $547 million from the Department of Education. Fantastic. That's awesome. That's what makes sense. Well, all of a sudden, there are these headlines coming out. It's almost like they're giving Eric Adams kind of the Heisman, Biden Heisman treatment, where they're clearly the Democrats are turning away from Eric Adams. They want this guy gone. You stood up. You spoke out about the obvious suck of our policies. We have given up on you, and now we're going to start sinking you. You see this headline today? It's not bad enough that Eric Adams, I guess, chief fundraiser, campaign person, this individual had their house raided, a young woman. Apparently there's some scheme kind of like uh, Bob menendez E. and instead of using Egypt, it had Turkey, Turkey and some construction company and all of this weird stuff. And Eric Adams, though not named in it, of course, is the linchpin benefactor, one would argue, from it. Well, how about this now? New York Post, Eric Adams sued for sexually assaulting a woman back in 1993. And her accuser, or his accuser, wants $5 million. Who does that sound very familiar why does that sound so familiar? Oh, that's right. Because that's what happened to Donald Trump by that E. Jean Carroll woman who also wanted all these millions of dollars for something that happened a gazillion years ago, allegedly, if it happened. But thanks to a little known law, a little known tweak to the system that the Democrats ushered in in 2022 to go after Donald Trump explicitly. So E. Jean Carroll could say that he raped her in some department store dressing room in 19 whatever. Now Eric Adams is in the crosshairs of the very same ploy. Here's your story. Mayor Eric Adams has been accused of sexually assaulting a woman in 1993 in a lawsuit seeking at least $5 million filed just before the deadline for the Adult Survivors Act. The Adult Survivors Act. The accuser, whom the Post is not identifying because of the nature of the allegation, named Adams as a defendant along with the NYPD's Transit Bureau and Guardian Association in a lawsuit filed late Wednesday. Adams was a New York Police Department officer at the time. And the filing said the woman also worked for the city. Quote, plaintiff was sexually assaulted by defendant Eric Adams in New York, New York in 1993 while they both worked for the city of New York, claims the three-page summons, which does not give more detail about the alleged assault. The filing alleges sexual assault, battery, and employment discrimination on the basis of the plaintiff's gender and sex, retaliation, hostile work environment, blah, blah, blah. $5 million apparently is going to make all of that much better, and this alleged victim will be much happier. (laughs) It's not the lawsuit that I'm interested in. They're allowing this to happen. The media are covering it. Notice how they covered for Bob Menendez. 
Bob Menendez, whose fiance at the time was driving and hit and killed a pedestrian and was never, never even breathalyzed, let alone taken into custody. It was just a, all right, well, I guess your Senator Bob Menendez is squeezed, so we're going to let you go. He gets a walk, but the mayor of New York City, who's been a very vocal detractor now of this migration thing, they're putting on the back burner, my friends. I find these revelations to be exceedingly intriguing. Adams addressed the lawsuit before one of his Thanksgiving arrangements, saying, it did not happen. That's not who I am. That's not who I am in my professional life. It's just something that never took place. Remember when Donald Trump said that about E. Jean Carroll? He said, who? I have no idea who that is. And then he said, which outraged the left. She's not my type. This is what he's saying. What, what, right, Brock? I mean, what's, what's offensive about that? She's there, not my type. There's nothing. Most men have types. And Mine is female. <laughs> that's very exclusionary and misogynistic of you. So anyway, we're watching this because I think there's a lot more going on here. You've got Andrew Cuomo, by the way, in the wings. Disgraced. Accused of sexual malfeasance himself. Ah, what the hell? Everybody's doing it. Why not fail, fail into this position now as a disgraced former governor that gave New York the likes of Kathy Hochul? Right? He wants to be the mayor of New York. I'll brace for it. And we wonder why, of all the cities where the mass exodus is taking place, New York City, number one. People want to get the hell out. Not so surprising, is it? You know, it makes me feel like, particularly on a Friday, we need something. What is it? I need some good. Thanksgiving, obviously, the idea of goodness and the best reporter out there, Steve Hartman from CBS. I want to bring you this story because it's the sweetest testament to the power of a sincere thank you, often out of the blue to make somebody feel loved. This is the story of a World War II veteran who received a letter of gratitude for 15 years ago that changed his life forever. Enjoy. Inside the Vitalia Senior Residences in Strongsville, Ohio, 95-year-old Frank Grassberger sits on a treasure. In fact, Frank says, other than his wife Dolores, almost nothing matters more to him than this note. I'd never be without it. Why did it matter so much that you have it with you all the time? Because it's something that somebody thought of me that much. When he has that letter with him, he has a feeling of faith and trust and love. To understand how a letter can do all that, you first need to know that Frank is a World War II veteran. And back in 2009, a third grader wrote to thank him for his service. If it wasn't for you, we would never have freedom. I'm so happy you made sacrifices. Your friend, Deshauna Priest. To Frank, that simple thank you came to symbolize a life well served. I'm tickled to death that I have a letter like this. He wanted to thank the author. We never could find her. He says, before I close my eyes, I, I, I have to find her. I have to find her. Just about everyone who works here was well aware of Frank's attachment to that letter and his decade-long desire to find the little girl who wrote it. 
So the staff did some sleuthing. And lo and behold, hey. meet Deshauna. <laughs> she vividly remembers writing the letter as a school assignment because she so admired people in uniform. I was just like, wow. Like, I oh, get to write to a vet. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like an honor. Yeah. An honor that continued. So here she is. When Deshauna surprised Frank Hello. in her National Guard uniform. Oh, I love you so much. You can't imagine the feeling I had when she stood next to me. It just took my breath away. It really did. I thought, where's his heart pills? Because I thought, oh, this is it. This is the big one. This is a godsend. Fortunately, Frank's heart only swelled and may never return to its original size. So this is the beginning of something. Yeah, a friendship. <laughs> Family, not friendship. <laughs> There's love there, deep down in the heart. She's like my third daughter. She really is. It started with a lot of love and affection, and it's ending the same way. Who knew a simple thank you could make a life complete? Frank and Dolores Grassberger join us now. Welcome. Hello to you and welcome. This Thursday is Thanksgiving. What are you going to be thankful for on Thursday? What am I going to do? I'm thankful every day. It would take hours and hours and hours. That's how much thankfulness I have. Did you get other thank you letters after that story aired? You can't believe what people sent me. Wow. Whoa, I guess so. That's a sample. He's got other ones too. Are you still in touch with Deshauna? Oh, yes. You know, she comes and visits and has coffee and eats and then goes back home. That's great. <laughs> Frank, are you going to be buried with that letter? Are you going to be He's going to be cremated. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for your service, Frank. Thank you for thanking me. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we write thank you notes in this house, but it's usually because somebody has given us something, right? Yep. But what I take from this lesson is that if you write a thank you note to someone out of the blue for who they are and not the gift they've given you, it can make all the difference. Wow. Wow, I love that. I love me some Steve Hartman. One day, one day, I'll get to meet that special man. I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, do not go anywhere because the show is not even close to being over, right? It's Bad Joke Friday. Hang with me. You're listening to the Wendy Bell Radio Network. All right. Well, I know this has been a long weekend, or it's going to be a long weekend for many of you, and I hope you guys have a wonderful time. We've enjoyed being here with you. This is a special time for us to be able to be here with you. And we appreciate you welcoming us into your car, into your home, into your life, into your family. It's wonderful to be a part of it, and you're part of ours. Without further ado, my friends, you know what time it is. Ladies and gentlemen, I just flew in from New York, and boy, my arm's tired. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. <laughs> Anywho, welcome to the Comedy Club. Won't you give it up to Wendy and Brock for Bad Joke Friday? All right, so the rule is your bad jokes, you send them to us. Brock doesn't proofread them, and so when I read them, I'm reading them I don't cold. have time. Uh, oh, for the love of all that is holy, you don't have time to proofread five pages. Really? 
Very liberal of him. There There we go. Wow. So the rule is you guys give them to us. We don't read them. And uh, so when we watch them live, it is what it is. So let's go. First one is from Dr. Richard Rafferty from the Disk Institute of Pittsburgh. There's a guy walking in the woods and he spots a suitcase all by itself. Looks around to see if there's anybody to claim it. And when he doesn't see anyone, he opens it. Inside are three foxes. I know. He decides to call animal control, tells the woman on the phone, look, I just found a suitcase. Three foxes are in it. What should I do? The woman says, well, are, are they moving? The guy says, I don't know, but that would explain the suitcase. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my. Why did the turkey bring a microphone to dinner? Oh. He was ready for a roast. You're going to love the next one. Why? What do you call a cow with no legs? I think we've had this one before, so I don't want to ruin it. Ground beef. Yes, Yes, you have. You have. I just farted on my wallet. Stop. (laughs) So stupid. Now I have gas money. (laughs) Stupid. Oh, my kids will love that. An elderly man rear-ended a guy driving an expensive European sports car. Enraged, the guy hops out and confronts the old man and yells, Look what you did to my car. You're going to give me $10,000 right now, or I'm going to beat you into a pulp. Oh, my, the old man says nervously. I I don't have that kind of money. Let me call my son, he said with hope. He trains dolphins, and he'll know what to do. Dolphins, the other driver huffed while rolling his eyes. The old man pulled out his phone, dialed his son, and just as his son answered, the irate man snatched the phone away from his hand. I was once so... What? I just lost it. Where did it go, Brock? From the... From the, do you have the other oh, page? Oh, so you're a dolphin trainer, huh? The irritated man yelled, well, your old man here just rear-ended my car and I need 10 grand right now or I'm going to, oh, wait. <laughs> or I'm going to, this is why and we. And your old man to a pulp. I'll be there in 10 minutes, says the voice of the calmly on the other end. Exactly 10 minutes later, a Jeep pulls up, a guy hops out, proceeds to pulverize by the bully. The bully. Leaving him a heap of the side of the road. When he finished, he walked over to his father and said, For the last time, Dad, I trained seals, Navy seals, <laughs> not dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. All right, how about this one? This is longer. It looks like I've got the whole thing. An elderly woman goes to the doctor and asks for his help to, re- to revive her husband's sex drive. Well, what about Viagra? The doctor asks. Not a chance, says the woman. He won't even take an aspirin for a headache. No problem. Drop it in his coffee. He won't even taste it, replies the doctor. Come back in a week and let me know how this works out, okay? The woman comes back in a week. The doctor inquires as to how things went. It was just terrible. What happened, asked the doctor. Well, I did as you suggested. Dropped it in his coffee. The effect was immediate. He dropped up, swept the cutlery off the table, ripped my clothes off, and then proceeded to make mad passionate love to me on the tabletop. It was terrible. Doctor puzzled, sex wasn't good? Oh no, replied the woman. Sex was the best I've had in 25 years, but I'll never be able to show my face in McDonald's again. (laughs) (laughs) A guy asked his wife if I want, we had that last week. What do bears call campers in sleeping bags? Huh? Soft tacos. Oh my gosh. Every morning I get hit by the same bicycle. It's a vicious cycle. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call a wreath made of $100 bills? Huh. Aretha Franklin's. Oh, my gosh. Two years ago, this is me. Two years ago, my brother ran for office. Friend. What does he do now? Me. Nothing. He won. True. 
I I don't know why it's a me him thing. It was what it was. Adultery is a sin. You can't have your Kate and Edith too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you get when you put a pig in a blender? Ugh. What? Pulled pork? Yeah. I don't get it. That's gross. I told my wife that during my walk I got bitten by a great dane. My wife said, "My god, imagine if it had been a small child." I said, I could have fought off a small child. I don't know why that's funny. I, I don't know. <clears throat> why do you have... You need, do, to re, you need to read what, these in advance. Well, what happens if no. it's a bad joke? Well, it's supposed to be. What it, do you have to be careful when it's... Why do you have to be careful when it's raining cats and dogs? <laughs> to make sure you don't step in a poodle. <laughs> I just read that it takes three sheep to make one sweater. Amazing. I didn't even know they could knit. Sorry. Oh, my. I just read that some poor someone in New York gets stabbed every 52 seconds. Ugh. Poor guy. My mother-in-law fell down a wishing well. It was awful. I never knew they worked. <laughs> How do hamburgers wear their hair? Hmm. In a bun. Of course. The doctor gave me one year to live, so I just shot him with my gun. The judge gave me 15 years. Problem solved. <laughs> I used to be addicted to the hokey pokey. But I turned myself around. I figured. Did you hear the story about the claustrophobic astronaut and just needed some space? This printed twice. I have the same Ah, Why paper. can't a nose be 12 inches long? Because then it'd be a foot. There you go. Oh, my. Brock is going to Brock is gonna read them next time. No, he's yes, not. Yes, he is. We cannot have dysfunction. <laughs> love being like with before you. the show love being with you guys this week remember get the podcast wendy bell radio and at 15 percent off site-wide sale wendy bell radio network promo code thankful number four letter u have a great weekend love you guys peace